Chapter fifty seven, part two of a popular history of France from the earliest times, volume six. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A popular history of France from the earliest times, volume six, by Francois Guizot. Translated by Robert Black. Chapter fifty seven. Louis the sixteenth. France abroad. United States War of Independence. Seventeen seventy five to seventeen eighty three. Part two. To this declaration of the inalienable right of people to choose their own government for the greatest security and greatest happiness of the governed succeeded an enumeration of the grievances which made it forever impossible for the American colonists to render obedience to the King of Great Britain. The list was long and overwhelming. It ended with this declaration, quote, Wherefore we, the representatives of the United States of America, met together in general congress calling the supreme judge of the universe to witness the uprightness of our intentions do solemnly publish and declare in the name of the good people of these colonies that the united colonies are and have a right to be free and independent states that they are released from all allegiance to the crown of great britain and that every political tie between them and great britain is and ought to be entirely dissolved full of firm confidence in the protection of divine providence we pledge mutually to the maintenance of this declaration our lives our fortunes and our most sacred possession our honour the die was cast and retreat cut off for the timid and the malcontent through a course of alternate successes and reverses washington had kept up hostilities during the rough campaign of seventeen seventy six many a time he had thought the game lost and he had found himself under the necessity of abandoning posts he had mastered to fall back upon philadelphia quote, what will you do if philadelphia is taken he was asked quote, we will retire beyond the susquehanna and then if necessary beyond the alleghenies answered the general without hesitation unwavering in his patriotic faith and resolution he relied upon the savage resources and the vast wilderness of his native country to wear out at last the patience and courage of the english generals at the end of the campaign washington suddenly resuming the offensive had beaten the king's troops at trenton and at princeton one after the other this brilliant action had restored the affairs of the americans and was a preparatory step to the formation of a new army on the thirtieth of december seventeen seventy six washington was invested by congress with the full powers of a dictator europe meanwhile was following with increasing interest the vicissitudes of a struggle which at a distance had from the first appeared to the most experienced an unequal one Quote, let us not anticipate events but content ourselves with learning them when they occur said a letter in seventeen seventy five to m de guines ambassador in london from louis the sixteenth's minister for foreign affairs m de vergennes quote, i prefer to follow as a quiet observer the course of events rather than try to produce them he had but lately said with prophetic anxiety quote, far from seeking to profit by the embarrassment in which england finds herself on account of affairs in america we should rather desire to extricate her the spirit of revolt in whatever spot it breaks out is always of dangerous precedent it is with moral as with physical diseases both may become contagious 
this consideration should induce us to take care that the spirit of independence which is causing so terrible an explosion in north america have no power to communicate itself to points interesting to us in this hemisphere for a moment french diplomatists had been seriously disconcerted remembrance of the surprise in seventeen fifty five when england had commenced hostilities without declaring war still troubled men's minds count de guine wrote to m de vergennes quote, lord rochford confided to me yesterday that numbers of persons on both sides were perfectly convinced that the way to put a stop to this war in america was to declare it against france and that he saw with pain that opinion gaining ground i assure you sir that all which is said for is very extraordinary and far from encouraging the partisans of this plan argue that fear of a war disastrous for england which might end by putting france once more in possession of canada would be the most certain bugbear for america where the propinquity of our religion and our government is excessively apprehended they say in fact that the americans forced by a war to give up their project of liberty and to decide between us and them would certainly give them the preference the question of canada was always indeed an anxious one for the american colonists washington had detached in that direction a body of troops which had been repulsed with loss m de vergennes had determined to keep in the united states a semi-official agent m de bonvouloir commissioned to furnish the ministry with information as to the state of affairs on sending count de guine the necessary instructions the minister wrote on the seventh of august seventeen seventy five quote, one of the most essential objects is to reassure the americans on the score of the dread which they are no doubt taught to feel of us canada is the point of jealousy for them they must be made to understand that we have no thought at all about it and that so far from grudging them the liberty and independence they are laboring to secure we admire on the contrary the grandeur and nobleness of their efforts and that having no interest in injuring them we should see with pleasure such a happy conjunction of circumstances as would set them at liberty to frequent our ports the facilities they would find for their commerce would soon prove to them all the esteem we feel for them independence was not yet proclaimed and already the committee charged by congress quote, to correspond with friends in england ireland and other parts of the world end quote, had made inquiry of the french government by roundabout ways as to what were its intentions regarding the american colonies and was soliciting the aid of france on the third of march seventeen seventy six an agent of the committee mr silas dean started for france he had orders to put the same question point-blank at versailles and at paris the ministry was divided on the subject of american affairs m turgot inclined towards neutrality quote, let us leave the insurgents he said at full liberty to make their purchases in our ports and to provide themselves by the way of trade with the munitions and even the money of which they have need a refusal to sell to them would be a departure from neutrality but it would be a departure likewise to furnish them with secret aid in money and this step which it would be difficult to conceal would excite just complaints on the part of the english this was however the conduct adopted on the advice of m de vergennes he had been powerfully supported by the arguments presented in a memorandum drawn up by m de Renéval, senior clerk in the foreign office 
he was himself urged and incited by the most intelligent the most restless and the most passionate amongst the partisans of the american rebellion beaumarchais peter augustin caron de beaumarchais born at paris on the twenty fourth of january seventeen thirty two son of a clockmaker had already acquired a certain celebrity by his lawsuit against councillor guzman before the parliament of paris accused of having defamed the wife of a judge after having fruitlessly attempted to seduce her beaumarchais succeeded by dint of courage talent and wit in holding his own against the whole magistracy leagued against him he boldly appealed to public opinion i am a citizen he said that is to say i am not a courtier or an abbe or a nobleman or a financier or a favourite nor anything connected with what is called influence or puissance nowadays i am a citizen that is to say something quite new unknown unheard of in france i am a citizen that is to say what you ought to have been for the last two hundred years what you will be perhaps in twenty all the spirit of the french revolution was here in those most legitimate and at the same time most daring aspirations of his french citizen as he proclaimed himself to be beaumarchais was quite smitten with the american citizens he had for a long while been pleading their cause sure he said of its ultimate triumph on the tenth of january seventeen seventy six three weeks before the declaration of independence m de vergennes secretly remitted a million to m beaumarchais two months later the same sum was entrusted to him in the name of the king of spain beaumarchais alone was to appear in the affair and to supply the insurgent americans with arms and ammunition Quote, you will found he had been told a great commercial house and you will try to draw into it the money of private individuals the first outlay being now provided we shall have no further hand in it the affair would compromise the government too much in the eyes of the english it was under the style and title of rodrigo hortales and company that the first instalment of supplies to the extent of more than three millions was forwarded to the americans and notwithstanding the hesitation of the ministry and the rage of the english other instalments soon followed beaumarchais was henceforth personally interested in the enterprise he had commenced it from zeal for the american cause and from that yearning for activity and initiative which characterized him even in old age Quote, i should never have succeeded in fulfilling my mission here without the indefatigable intelligent and generous efforts of m de beaumarchais wrote silas dean to the secret committee of congress Quote, the united states are more indebted to him on every account than to any other person on this side of the ocean negotiations were proceeding at paris franklin had joined silas dean there his great scientific reputation the diplomatic renown he had won in england his able and prudent devotion to the cause of his country had paved the way for the new negotiator's popularity in france it was immense born at boston on the seventeenth of january seventeen o six a printer before he came out as a great physicist franklin was seventy years old when he arrived in paris his sprightly good nature the bold subtlety of his mind cloaked beneath external simplicity his moderation in religion and the breadth of his philosophical tolerance won the world of fashion as well as the great public and were a great help to the success of his diplomatic negotiations 
quartered at passy at madame helvetius's he had frequent interviews with the ministers under a veil of secrecy and precaution which was before long skilfully and discreetly removed from roundabout aid accorded to the americans at beaumarchais's solicitations on pretext of commercial business the french government had come to remitting money straight to the agents of the united states everything tended to recognition of the independence of the colonies in england people were irritated and disturbed lord chatham exclaimed with the usual exaggeration of his powerful and impassioned genius quote, yesterday england could still stand against the world to-day there is none so poor as to do her reverence i borrow the poet's words my lords but what his verse expresses is no fiction france has insulted you she has encouraged and supported america and be america right or wrong the dignity of this nation requires that we should thrust aside with contempt the officious intervention of france ministers and ambassadors from those whom we call rebels and enemies are received at paris there they treat of the mutual interests of france and america their countrymen are aided provided with military resources and our ministers suffer it they do not protest is this maintaining the honour of a great kingdom of that england which but lately gave laws to the house of bourbon the hereditary sentiments of louis the sixteenth and his monarchical principles as well as the prudent moderation of m turgot retarded at paris the negotiations which caused so much ill-humour among the english m de vergennes still preserved in all diplomatic relations an apparent neutrality quote, it is my line or metier you see to be a royalist the emperor joseph the second had said during a visit he had just paid to paris when he was pressed to declare in favour of the american insurgents at the bottom of his heart the king of france was of the same opinion he had refused the permission to serve in america which he had been asked for by many gentlemen some had set off without waiting for it the most important as well as the most illustrious of them all the marquis of lafayette was not twenty years old when he slipped away from paris leaving behind his young wife close to her confinement to go and embark upon a vessel which he had bought and which laden with arms awaited him in a spanish port arrested by order of the court he evaded the vigilance of his guards in the month of july seventeen seventy seven he disembarked in america washington did not like france he did not share the hopes which some of his fellow-countrymen founded upon her aid he made no case of the young volunteers who came to enroll themselves among the defenders of independence and whom congress loaded with favors Quote, no bond but interest attaches these men to america he would say and as for france she only lets us get our munitions from her because of the benefit her commerce derives from it prudent reserved and proud washington looked for america's salvation to only america herself neither had he foreseen nor did he understand that enthusiasm as generous as it is unreflecting which easily takes possession of the french nation and of which the united states were just then the object m de lafayette was the first who managed to win the general's affection and esteem a great zeal for new ideas and a certain political perspicacity had impelled m de lafayette to america he showed himself courageous devoted more judicious and more able than had been expected from his youth and character washington came to love him as a son it was with the title of major-general that m de lafayette made his first campaign 
Congress had passed a decree conferring upon him this grade, rather in excess of honor, in Washington's opinion. The latter was at that time covering Philadelphia, the point aimed at by the operations of General Howe. Beaten at Brandywine and at Germantown, the Americans were obliged to abandon the town to the enemy and fall back on Valley Forge, where the general pitched his camp for wintering. The English had been beaten on the frontiers of Canada by General Gates. General Bourgogne, invested on all sides by the insurgents, had found himself forced to capitulate at Saratoga. The humiliation and wrath of the public in England were great, but the resolution of the politicians was beginning to waver. On the 10th of February, 1778, Lord North had presented two bills whereby England was to renounce the right of levying taxes in the American colonies, and was to recognize the legal existence of Congress. Three commissioners were to be sent to America to treat for conditions of peace. After a hot discussion, the two bills had been voted. This was a small matter in view of the growing anxiety and the political maneuverings of parties. On the 7th of April, 1778, the Duke of Richmond proposed in the House of Lords the recall of all the forces, land and sea, which were fighting in America. He relied upon the support of Lord Chatham, who was now at death's door, but who had always expressed himself forcibly against the conduct of the government towards the colonists. The great orator entered the house, supported by two of his friends, pale, wasted, swathed in flannel beneath his embroidered robe. He with difficulty dragged himself to his place. The peers, overcome at the sight of this supreme effort, waited in silence. Lord Chatham rose, leaning on his crutch, and still supported by his friends. He raised one hand to heaven. Quote, I thank God, he said, that I have been enabled to come hither to-day to fulfill a duty and say what has been weighing so heavily on my heart. I have already one foot in the grave. I shall soon descend into it. I have left my bed to sustain my country's cause in this house, perhaps for the last time. I think myself happy, my lords, that the grave has not yet closed over me, and that I am still alive to raise my voice against the dismemberment of this ancient and noble monarchy. My lords, His Majesty succeeded to an empire as vast in extent as proud in reputation. Shall we tarnish its lustre by a shameful abandonment of its rights and of its fairest possessions? Shall this great kingdom, which survived in its entirety the descents of the Danes, the incursions of the Scots, the conquest of the Normans, which stood firm against the threatened invasion of the Spanish Armada, now fall before the house of Bourbon? Surely, my lords, we are not what we once were. In God's name, if it be absolutely necessary to choose between peace and war, if peace cannot be preserved with honor, why declare war without hesitation? My lords, anything is better than despair. Let us at least make an effort, and if we must fail, let us fail like men. He dropped back into his seat, exhausted, gasping. Soon he strove to rise and reply to the Duke of Richmond, but his strength was traitor to his courage. He fainted. A few days later he was dead. May 11, 1778. The resolution of the Duke of Richmond had been rejected. When this news arrived in America, Washington was seriously uneasy. He had to keep up an incessant struggle against the delays and the jealousies of Congress. It was by dint of unheard-of efforts 
and of unwavering perseverance that he succeeded in obtaining the necessary supplies for his army Quote, to see men without clothes to cover their nakedness he exclaimed without blankets to lie upon without victuals and often without shoes or you might follow their track by the blood that trickled from their feet advancing through ice and snow and taking up their winter quarters at christmas less a day's march from the enemy in a place where they have not to shelter them either houses or huts but such as they have thrown up themselves to see these men doing all this without a murmur is an exhibition of patience and obedience such as the world has rarely seen as a set-off against the impassioned devotion of the patriots washington knew that the loyalists were still numerous and powerful the burden of war was beginning to press heavily upon the whole country he feared some act of weakness quote, let us accept nothing short of independence he wrote at once to his friends we can never forget the outrages to which great britain has made us submit a peace on any other conditions would be a source of perpetual disputes if great britain urged on by her love for tyranny were to seek once more to bend our necks beneath her iron yoke and she would do so you may be sure for her pride and her ambition are indomitable what nation would believe any more in our professions of faith and would lend us its support it is to be feared however that the proposals of england will produce a great effect in this country men are naturally friends of peace and there is more than one symptom to lead me to believe that the american people are generally weary of war if it be so nothing can be more politic than to inspire the country with confidence by putting the army on an imposing footing and by showing greater energy in our negotiations with european powers i think that by now france must have recognized our independence and that she will immediately declare war against great britain when she sees that we have made serious proposals of alliance to her but if influenced by a false policy or by an exaggerated opinion of our power she were to hesitate we should either have to send able negotiators at once or give fresh instructions to our charge d'affaires to obtain a definitive answer from her it is the property of great men even when they share the prejudices of their time and of their country to know how to get free from them and how to rise superior to their natural habits of thought it has been said that as a matter of taste washington did not like france and had no confidence in her but his great and strong common sense had enlightened him as to the conditions of the contest he had entered upon he knew it was a desperate one he foresaw that it would be a long one better than anybody he knew the weaknesses as well as the merits of the instruments which he had at disposal he had learned to desire the alliance and the aid of france she did not belie his hopes at the very moment when congress was refusing to enter into negotiations with great britain as long as a single english soldier remained on american soil rejoicings and thanksgivings were everywhere throughout the thirteen colonies greeting the news of the recognition by france of the independence of the united states the treaties of alliance a triumph of diplomatic ability on the part of franklin had been signed at paris on the sixth of february seventeen seventy eight quote, assure the english government of the king's pacific intentions m de vergennes had written to the marquis of noailles then french ambassador in england george the third replied to these mocking assurances by recalling his ambassador quote, anticipate your enemies franklin had said to the ministers of louis the sixteenth act towards them as they did to you in seventeen fifty five 
let your ships put to sea before any declaration of war it will be time to speak when a french squadron bars the passage of admiral howe who has ventured to ascend the delaware the king's natural straightforwardness and timidity were equally opposed to this bold project he hesitated a long while when count d'estaing at last on the thirteenth of april went out of toulon harbour to sail for america with his squadron it was too late the english were on their guard when the french admiral arrived in america hostilities had commenced between france and england without declaration of war by the natural pressure of circumstances and the state of feeling in the two countries england fired the first shot on the seventeenth of june seventeen seventy eight the frigate la belle poule commanded by m de chaudot de la clochetterie was cruising in the channel she was surprised by the squadron of admiral keppel issuing from portsmouth the frenchman saw the danger in time he crowded sail but an english frigate the arethusa had dashed forward in pursuit la clochetterie waited for her and refused to make the visit demanded by the english captain a cannon-shot was the reply to this refusal la belle poule delivered her whole broadside when the arethusa rejoined lord keppel's squadron she was dismasted and had lost many men a sudden calm had prevented two english vessels from taking part in the engagement la clochetterie went on and landed a few leagues from brest the fight had cost the lives of forty of his crew fifty-seven had been wounded he was made post-captain or or capitaine de la vaisseau the glory of this small affair appeared to be of good augury the conscience of louis the sixteenth was soothed he at last yielded to the passionate feeling which was hurrying the nation into war partly from sympathy towards the americans partly from hatred and rancour towards england the treaty of seventeen sixty three still lay heavy on the military honour of france from the day when the duke of choiseul had been forced to sign that humiliating peace he had never relaxed in his efforts to improve the french navy in the course of ministerial alternations frequently unfortunate for the work in hand it had nevertheless been continued by his successors a numerous fleet was preparing at brest it left the port on the third of july under the orders of count d'orvilliers it numbered thirty-two men-of-war and some frigates admiral keppel came to the encounter with thirty ships mostly superior in strength to the french vessels the engagement took place on the twenty-seventh at thirty leagues distance from wessant and about the same from the Solang islands the splendid order of the french astounded the enemy who had not forgotten the deplorable journée de m de conflans the sky was murky and the manoeuvres were interfered with from the difficulty of making out the signals lord keppel could not succeed in breaking the enemy's line count d'orvilliers failed in a like attempt the english admiral extinguished his fires and returned to plymouth harbour without being forced to do so from any serious reverse count d'orvilliers fell back upon brest under the same conditions the english regarded this retreat as a humiliation to which they were unaccustomed lord keppel had to appear before a court-martial in france under the first burst of enthusiasm fault was found with the inactivity of the duke of chartres who commanded the rear-guard of the fleet under the direction of m de la motte piquet the prince was before long obliged to leave the navy he became colonel-general of the hussars a fresh sally on the part of the fleet did not suffice to protect the merchant navy the losses of which were considerable the english vessels everywhere held the seas 
End of chapter 57, part 2.